We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Irish fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. Brian, how do you do today, sir? It's been a long week, but I'm doing great. That's what so I like to doing hear. Doing great, just ready to keep rocking and rolling as we get through this offseason. And, of course, the, on the website and in this podcast and in the next couple of days, I'm going to be talking a lot about quarterback play, and that's always a fun topic for me. Well, it is, it's a fun topic for anybody, and it's a hot topic uh, for, any, for you know, Irish fans in general and, and college football fans, really, um, because you know the quarterback is the face of the franchise, as they say. So – we're going to talk about the quarterback situation at Notre Dame, and there's a, there's a prevailing thought. Uh, well, there's many prevailing thoughts about the quarterback position at Notre Dame, but w- but one of them is, you know, that Notre Dame is a quarterback away from winning a national title, and that may be true, uh, but the solution that people are coming up with is that hey, just just go out and get yourself a five star quarterback, and all will be well. And you're guaranteed to win a national championship if you have that five-star quarterback in the stable. It's not exactly the way things go. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, It's not necessarily about what you recruit or who you recruit. It's about what you do when those recruits get the building. And I think that's where our focus is going to be today, Brian. Yeah, and and the reality is, is it is very true that that Notre Dame has not gotten good court, enough quarterback play to be a national title contender. And you know, I have an article at irishbreakdown.com today that kind of lays out the case. 
And I've laid it out before. And the case is, is that Notre Dame's play quarterback in the vast majority of instances has simply not been good enough uh, to really be competitive on the big stage. There have been a couple of exceptions, I think. Um, I think that in 2015, the quarterback play was, was good enough. The defense wasn't good enough. Uh, but even that year in 2012, 15, Deshaun Kaiser's play down the stretch as they started putting more and more and more on his plate from a scheme standpoint got worse and worse. I mean, he was not good against Wake Forest or Boston College. Did bounce back against Stanford. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that more often than not, the quarterback play has been subpar. And, and you know, when you look at Ian Book, for example, numbers-wise, Ian Book in 2018 was, was really good. I mean, two, over 290 passing yards per game, um, quarterback rating over 150. His quarterback rating that year was co- comparable to Deshaun Watson's quarterback rating in 2016. But then you go watch how he played in big games, and part of the article was even the years where they had good quarterback play, their play against ranked teams was well below standard. And Subpar. then you compare that to the other the other championship contenders or the championship winners – and not only were they better overall, but they were much better in big games. I mean, you know, you talk about Joe Burrow last year, for example. I mean, Joe Burrow was a phenomenal player, but one of the things that that made Joe Burrow so good and made them a winner was he played well against really good teams. I mean, here's, here's the thing. Ian Book started 35 games in Notre Dame, okay? In those 35 games, Ian Book played against eight, teams that finished the season ranked in the top 25 power five teams that finished ranked in the top 25 and Joe Burrow's one championship season. He played against seven mm-hmm. in one year, seven of their 18 games or 15 games were against teams that finished ranked in the top 25 and against those teams, he completed, uh, uh, he threw for 397.6 points, per yard, uh, yards per game, had 27 touchdowns, two picks, Averaged 10.3 yards per attempt, 13.7 yards per completion with a quarterback rating over 190, you know, and you just look, it's just the quarterback play is, is not good enough. And, and it, and here's the thing, Vince, it's Ian book is a guy that gets a lot of the blame for the problems in recent years. And he's the quarterback and that's just going to happen. But the fact of the matter is, is this isn't an Ian book problem. This isn't a Tommy Reese problem as a player or a coach. It's not a Chip Long problem. It's not a Mike Dembrock problem. It's not a Chuck Martin problem. This has been true no matter who the quarterback was, no matter who the coordinator was. The only constant in this whole thing has been Brian Kelly. And when you look at and you say, well, they're not recruiting well enough. You know, Vince, we have some numbers that kind of say, well, that's not really true if you compare it to teams that are winning championships. It's just that that sounds good and it's easy to say, but it doesn't hold true to the actual results of what's happened. Yes, you need great quarterback play, but great quarterbacks come in all different shapes, sizes, yeah. and recruiting rankings. And that's Absolutely. the point. And that's the point. Well, and you know, if you want to, you know, talk about the the last what eight or so quarterback or all the quarterbacks in the college football playoff era and what they were when they were recruited, right? I'm looking at the list that you put out on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago, and what I see from the championship quarterbacks, I see three three-star quarterbacks. I see four or three. the most recent, Mac Jones. That is correct. He was the number 399 prospect in the country. That's on the 24-7 composite rankings, by the way. 
Yes. And so I see three, three star, I see three, four star, and I see one five star who won a title. And of course that five star was the number one player in the country. And that's Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, Right. Uh, but the rest you're talking the number three ninety eight, the number five eleven, the number 42, the number one ninety two, the number two eighty, and the number three ninety nine. Th- those aren't five star numbers. So you're not just because you get a five star quarterback does not mean you're gonna win a national championship. Right. Well, and and I wanna I wanna I wanna be this to be as fair and objective as possible. Now, one of the years you mentioned, so here's there. The number the three star number three ninety-eight that was in this tweet that I put out that Vince talked about was Cardell Jones from Ohio State. The number five eleven player uh, that was a three star was Jacob Coker, who was a transfer from Florida State. The number forty-two player was Deshaun Watson. The number one ninety-two player was Jalen Hurts. Now, in that game that they won a championship, Jalen Hurts was playing terrible, and they brought in Tua Tagovailoa off the bench, who was a five star player, and you know, obviously had a big hand in bringing them back and winning that game. Tua Tungvaloa, by the way, who never won a national championship as a starting quarterback. Then the next year, five-star Trevor Lawrence. And then the four-star Joe Burrow was number 280. And then Mac Jones was a three-star number 399. So it's all types of different shapes and sizes. But what you see in there is if you, if your quarterback play isn't stellar or at least really good, you need something dynamic to, to, to overcome it. And Notre Dame hasn't had that. And most teams aren't and the most of the exceptions have been Bama. So like one of the years that Bama didn't have a great offense, they gave up 11 points per game. Right. You know, if Notre and they only gave up 14 and a half points per game in the playoff, if Notre Dame's defense can hold opponents to 14 and a half points per game in the playoff and only 11, the regular season, they're going to win a title, but you know who else has done that? No one. That's why you don't try to be like Alabama. You try to be like the teams that beat Alabama. Um, you look at uh, the year that Alabama in 2015 when they won it with Jacob Coker. Now, Jacob Coker's overall numbers that year won't blow you away. I mean, you know, I have it right here. When you when you look at his his overall production, it wasn't great. You know, he threw for 207.3 yards per game, had a quarterback rating of 146.94, which is lower than Ian Book was in 2018 and 2019 and only slightly better than what Ian Book was this year. But 7.9 yards per attempt. 11.8 yards per carry, 21 touchdowns, eight picks, all very similar. But they won that year because they had Derrick Henry. I was going to say, when you're handing the ball off to Derrick right. Henry, so, you don't have to be perfect. Right. So, yes. Now, but here's the other thing about Jacob Coker that year. You fast forward to the college football playoff, and you look what Jacob Coker did in the college football playoff that year, and he was he was brilliant. I mean, he threw for over 300 yards in both games. You know, he had, they averaged 41 and a half points per game. He threw for 310 and a half yards per game in the playoff, four touchdowns, zero picks, 11.3 yards per attempt, 15.1 yards per completion, 193.39 rating, right? So when the lights were brightest, he was at his best. And it's been the opposite for Notre Dame quarterbacks. But yeah, when it's going to be a lot easier to have that kind of success when you're handing off to Derrick Henry. So again, stop trying to be like Alabama. Brian Kelly's biggest problem, Vince, and we talked about this in another show, he has spent the last eight seasons trying to be like Alabama, mm-hmm. be like 2012 Alabama. When even Alabama's not like 2012 Alabama, Alabama's not like 2015 Alabama. When they had Derrick Henry, they see that the game has changed. But even then, quarterback play in the big games was important. Look at AJ McCarron in the play in the national title game in 2012 against Notre Dame. He didn't have lights out numbers that year when it comes to like yards per game, but he shredded Notre Dame. Yes, he did. You know, so there's just there's there's these, uh, you know, the, the stat in here that was the 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 most 
telling was when you look at the points per game for Notre Dame in their two playoff games, they're averaging eight and a half points a game in their two playoff games. Alabama this year in their two playoff games, 41 and a half, LSU 52 and a half, Clemson in 2018, 37, Alabama in 2017, 25, Clemson in 2016, 33, Alabama in 2015, 41 and a half, Ohio State in 2014, 42. So it just adds to what we've been saying, which is you got to be able to score points. And the only yep. way you're really going to score points at a high level is if you have very strong quarterback play. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to say now what we're not saying, don't recruit five-star quarterbacks. There's no way Notre Dame should have recruited Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying that. We're not no. saying that. But what I am saying is I don't think Trevor Lawrence would have been Trevor Lawrence if he'd have came to Notre Dame. That's fair. Based on, based on the evidence. I mean, we just read to you the, the rankings of the quarterbacks, right? I'm going to read to you the ranking of every quarterback Brian Kelly has signed as part of his full recruiting classes. And his first full recruiting class was 2011. Four-star, number 267. Five-star, number 26. That's the overall ranking. Four-star, number 162. Four-star, number 242. Four-star, number 46. By the way, that's four spots behind what Deshaun Watson was. That was B. Brandon Wimbush. Three-star, number 517. That would be Ian Book. Four-star, number 246. Four-star, number 83. Four-star, number 225. That would be Drew Pine. They're not even signed three top 100 quarterbacks under Brian Kelly. And what's Tyler Buckner? Tyler Buckner is uh, his update. He has not had his ranking updated because because, uh, SI99 just came out with their their ranking. But I'll tell you what it is right now. It's, I think, in the 60s right now, I believe. Okay. I was just curious Um, as to where he was in comparison. He's 65. uh, Okay. And then uh, uh, so he would be the – third highest ranked quarterback to sign with Notre Dame slightly ahead of Phil Dracovic behind Gunnar Keel and Brandon Wimbush. You signed four top hundred quarterbacks. Do you know how many, if you look at those top hundred quarterbacks, Brandon Wimbush was the only one to start a game at Notre Dame. Phil Dracovic never started a game at Notre Dame. Uh, Gunnar Keel never started a game at Notre Dame. And then Brandon Wimbush was benched and replaced by their lowest ranked quarterback recruit, who was Ian Book. And, you know, again, when you watch, go back and watch Brandon Wimbush's highlights in high school. And I'm not talking about he played great against high school teams. I'm watching about how he played, his throwing motion, how comfortable he was in the pocket. He was a completely different player. He didn't get developed at Notre Dame. And, and yeah, you know, there's always blame on both sides. You, you look at Phil Dracovic and, and you hear the, the behind the scenes, you know, character assassination attempts done by sources close to the, you know, Brian Kelly, whether it be coaches or other people where, oh, he doesn't read the defense. He doesn't do this. Well, where's that information coming from? That's coming from higher ups. It's not coming from teammates because I've heard the exact opposite story from teammates. Uh, You know, it was, it's one of those things where we've seen it time and time again, we're seeing it now with Jordan Johnson, you know, we're hearing all these leaks about how he doesn't, He's not a good student and he doesn't have the right. Well, where does this come from? You know, and, and what does that say about your program that every time fans get upset about you not playing someone, you, your response is to kind of bash them. that player. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> and so the re- the reality is, is that it's the same story over and over and over again. And then, you know, Phil Dracovic goes to Boston college this year with no spring ball playing with a brand new team with weapons that don't compare to what he has against Notre Dame. And he averages about 20 more yards, passing yards per game. And his QB rating against top 25 teams was almost identical to Ian Book's, except the one difference is Phil Dracovic had to play the Notre Dame defense. Ian Book didn't. 
Right. And so, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, Vince, where you have to be able to, when you, when you see it, and this is the, the task in front of Brian Kelly this year, you have to be able to look at it and, and with an open mind and say, it, it, it's been the same story. It was Everett led you to a 12 and 0 regular season, then regressed. Gunner Keel never panned out. That one I put more on Gunner Keel than I do the coaching staff. I, I, guy was here a year. I mean, how much can you do in a year? You know, uh, he left, I think, more because he saw, well, I'm not beating out Everett Golson, you know. Um, Malik Zaire. Now, the one quarterback that Notre Dame has had as a starter that's put up numbers comparable to the championship caliber quarterbacks is Malik Zaire. Mm-hmm. His QB rating in his three starts was in the 170s. Uh, problem is it was only three starts. It was only three starts, you know, yeah. and, 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 and that's the problem. And, and, you know, he, Brian Kelly decided to go with Sean, Deshaun Watts, Deshaun Kaiser after that, which, you know, that's a different, completely different show, that conversation, you know, but <clears throat> Brandon Wimbush, Avery Davis is now playing receiver. Phil Dracovic is now, you know, projected to be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC next year. And even if you didn't want to, even if you didn't want to start, Phil Dracovic, the way that you handled that, the way that you and the people close to you went and destroyed that kid's character is a hundred percent why he left. Phil Dracovic thought he was going to be backing up Brandon Wimbush until last year. So Phil Dracovic had no illusions when he signed with Notre Dame that he was going to be the starting quarterback. Cause remember when he signed with Notre Dame, they were in the midst of their, of their turnaround. You know what I mean? They were in the midst of Brandon Wimbush leading them to that, that bounce back 2017 season. Brandon Wimbush still had multiple seasons of eligibility remaining. I can assure you with 100% certainty that Phil Dracovic did not transfer from Notre Dame because he wasn't going to play. It had a lot more to do with what happened after the Michigan game when the next month him and his family had to read article and article and article after each other about how he isn't this and he doesn't work hard. And it was they, they viewed it as a character assassination. That's how they viewed it. That's why he left. Had you handled that situation differently, you could have still started Ian Book this year, and you'd have two years. You'd have Phil Dracovic the next two years as your starting quarterback. Right. And and that's the frustrating thing is Brian Kelly's unwillingness to look in the mirror and say, what's the one constant these last 11 seasons, Vince? And, and I didn't count Dane Christ, who was a five-star quarterback. I didn't count him because – he did He wasn't recruited by Kelly. He wasn't though. recruited into this system. He wasn't right. recruited by Kelly. He wasn't coached by Kelly his first three years or two years. I don't fault him for Dane Chris. Now I think they could have handled Dane Chris better. Uh, but you know, again, I, I'm trying to be as fair and objective as possible. And I also didn't include Andrew Hendricks in there either, who was another four-star top 250 caliber. I think he was like 280 something, right? Another guy that ranked higher than Mac Jones. What do you think about it? Brian Kelly has signed, not counting uh, Tyler Buckner, Notre Dame has signed nine quarterbacks. Eight of them ranked higher than Mac Jones coming out of high school. And the one who didn't was your starting quarterback the last three right. years. And for a team that averaged eight and a half points per game in the college football playoff. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone an opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. 
On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate that any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup alone. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out that description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. You have to say, what is the constant, Vince? It's not coordinators. It's not quarterback coaches. It's the head coach. He's the only one that's been there the whole time, yeah. Who has had his hands very much involved in the offense year after year after year. And you wonder, Brian Kelly gave over complete control of the defense when he hired Mike Elko. And he was never really heavily involved in the defense, but he hired defensive coaches and he lets them. And that was part of the problem with Brian Van Gorder is he let Brian Van Gorder kind of do it the way he wanted to do it. And run it right into the ground. Right. And, and you know, and, and he did the same thing with Mike Elko, but the difference is he hired competent coaches, did the same thing with Clark Lee. <laughs> right. now he's going he's gonna, to, you know, have his say on things. And I know that there's personnel decisions that Brian Kelly has influenced, and that's going to happen. That's with every head coach. Right or wrong, that's just what head coaches are going to do. But he lets Clark Lee run that defense how he wants to run the defense. He let Mike Elko run the defense how he wanted to run the defense. He doesn't do that with on offense. And, and he definitely isn't, isn't doing that with Tommy Reese. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I just feel like there's the, the one constant has been, has been Brian Kelly. And it's, it's a philosophy on offense that is, is not conducive to success from young quarterbacks, which is why some of their best years have been with younger quarterbacks. Whether it was Tommy Reese going 4-0 as a freshman whether it's Everett Golson going 12 and 0 as a freshman, whether it was Deshaun Kaiser. And when you read that article, you're going to notice some things. Ian Book started a lot more games than any of the other quarterbacks on that list. A lot more games. Ian Book started, what was it, 35 games, Vince? Isn't, isn't yep. that it's like 30 and 5 as a starter, right? Yep. He played against eight top 25 teams. Not including Navy. Not including Navy, right? Because it's only Power Five. Because you don't get recruited to Notre Dame. You don't get judged by what you do against Navy. And and the Michigan game, they were ranked at the time, but I don't believe they ended ranked. And that was part of your no Michigan. Michigan was ranked. That was part. Okay. Of, I, did, I didn't include Michigan because so in that breakdown, and I didn't put this in the article. In that breakdown, I did not include the stats against Michigan because I felt like because of the weather, it was a little unfair to include that because you don't have similar games from other quarterbacks in weather um, like that. Like I didn't include NC state in 2016 because they weren't ranked. So it didn't matter. I would have taken that out for Deshaun Kaiser, but Brandon Wimbush in 14 starts played against seven top 25 teams. Deshaun Kaiser started, what was it? um, 11. He would have started 23 games. So that's 12 fewer than Ian Book. He had six games against top 25 teams. Everett Golson started, uh, what was it, 24 games, right? 11 fewer than Ian Book. He played seven top 25 teams. And Tommy Reese played against 10 top 25 teams. The point being, Notre Dame hasn't played as many top 25 teams the last three years as they had in past years because of the way the schedule shakes out. And so what you what you see from that is the numbers to me, even the successful numbers are numbers that are inflated by you're playing more and more inferior opponents. 
you're not playing a September schedule loaded with Big Ten teams like Everett Golson and Tommy Reese and even Deshaun Kaiser to do what he had to do. Playing in the ACC has made it easier to score. You've also seen the last three years that Notre Dame has had success during stretches where USC and Stanford have been down. So things have kind of have have worked out well for Notre Dame and they've taken full advantage. And, and so they're now at a place, Vince, in my opinion, where they're knocking on the door. I, I truly believe that they're knocking on the door. If Brian Kelly's not willing to look in the mirror and say, I'm the only thing that's been consistent during this entire time, we got to think about what we're doing. You've allowed the defense to grow into a championship caliber defense. You've now got to get the offense there, but that's not going to happen without quarterback play. And my, my thing is Vince is, is he going to be willing to look in the mirror and say, okay, what am I doing? Or what am I not doing? Either one. And, and say, we, we've got to make changes because mm-hmm. it's not an Ian Book thing. It's not a Brandon Wimbush thing. It's not a Deshaun Kaiser thing or Malik Zaire thing, Ever Golson thing, or a Tommy Reese thing. It's yeah. a Brian Kelly thing, in my opinion. I mean, do you, you tell me. I mean, you, you see it differently. I mean, I, you know, people say, well, none of those guys are first-round talents. Well, yeah, they weren't developed into first-round talents. But would you have said when – You're Mac, not a first-round talent coming right, out of high school. That's when, the thing. Right. When, when, when Mac Jones signed with Alabama, was anybody like, that guy gonna, is going to win more titles than Tua Tungvaloa is going to win? Who said that? <laughs> right. I want to see the person that made that claim. <laughs> you know, when Joe Burrow transferred to LSU and went through that first year at LSU, right? You know, again, remember, Joe Burrow didn't show up at LSU and play one year. Joe Burrow played two years at LSU. And in his first year as a starter, which was his fourth year in college, he completed 57.8% of his passes, had a quarterback rating of 133.21, and in 13 starts had 16 touchdowns, five interceptions, and averaged 7.6 yards per attempt, 222.6 yards passing per game. That's what he did as a senior in his first year as a starter at LSU. Those numbers are far far inferior to anything Ian Book ever did as a starter. Agreed. They fire they they changed the offense, they opened things up, and the next year, one year difference, he averaged completes seventy six point three percent of his passes. That's a twenty percent jump with the same players. Ten point eight yards more per attempt. That's three yards jump. Sixty flipping touchdown passes, six hundred right. six interceptions, three hundred seventy eight point one yards per game. 201.96 quarterback rating. Now, my question for you is this. Did Joe Burrow in one offseason, his fifth year, all of a sudden become bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic, and more capable of reading a defense? Or did they finally put him in an offense that was conducive to maximizing his skills? That's my question. There it is. And he's a guy that I feel was coached well from a technical standpoint at Ohio State, who I do think, who I, I think they do a good job coaching the fundamentals of quarterback play. And so, you know, this this is a guy, Joe Burrow, that that Urban Meyer and Ryan Day felt was not as good as Dwayne Haskins. Right? And they let him go. And they right. well, they didn't start him and then they let right. him go. Because they, they knew yeah. the consequences of not starting him. Right. And, and so the, if you don't trust me, how about them? And again, right. so, so was Joe Burrow who, who couldn't get off, couldn't get seat of field in three years at Ohio state was a mediocre quarterback in his senior years at, at LSU. And then all of a sudden became the greatest single season quarterback play of all time. Did that right. happen because he all of a sudden got good or was the talent always there? It was just finally developed and put right. in a position in a scheme wise where it could thrive. Yep. And, and, and that's, that's my question. 
<clears throat> we could we could do this all day, Vince. I mean, we can we could talk all day about quarterbacks in the NFL or at the college level that are in one system, and you bring in a new coach, and then all of a sudden these guys are either really good or, in some cases, guys aren't aren't that good because you hire a new coach that isn't running an offense that's conducive to what you can do. So, you know, I just um, it, it's it's a frustrating thing because I just I. I don't know if Brian Kelly is capable of looking in the mirror and identifying himself as the problem unless he has to. And that's the thing is the only time he's ever said he's done that was after 2016 when the reality was he had no choice. If he didn't look in it the was, mirror yeah. and take accountability, he wouldn't be the head coach of Notre Dame anymore. Yeah. It was an ultimatum. I mean, right. I, whether, it was, whether it was a specific or, you know, a hinted one or whatever. I mean, if you don't make right. changes after four and eight, you're not going to be the coach anymore. That's right. And you and I have talked enough of sources to know that, that if Brian Kelly would have walked into Jack Swarbrick's office and said, okay, what's the plan to get this thing going? Well, we're just going to coach a little harder and play a little harder and coach a little better, which is what he said after 2015. Uh, he, he wouldn't have been a head coach anymore as much as Jack Swarbrick would not have liked that decision. Cause he's, I don't think there's a bigger Brian Kelly supporter on the campus of university of Notre Dame than Jack Swarbrick. Uh, and that's not said at all in a, in a, in a condescending manner at all. It just, it's this is what it fact. is. And, and you want your boss to support you. I mean, that's Absolutely. good. I mean, a head coach can't be looking over shoulder all the time thinking if, if I don't do this, 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 the AD is going to fire me. You got to have right. confidence to make those tough decisions, which makes even more frustrating that Brian Kelly doesn't make some of those tough decisions. Cause he's got a much longer leash than most coaches in college football, much longer leash, no especially doubt. now, you know, if, if they made a change and they went, seven and five next year, Brian Kelly would have the grace period to say, Hey, look, they're making a change. They lost a bunch of starters. Let's see what they do next year. He would have that grace. He doesn't have to go back to the playoff next year. Uh, you know, it's so, good. Cause he's probably not going to. Right. I mean, the, again, the schedule's not super tough. He, not, not if they keep doing what they're doing that I don't think they will. No, I agree with you on that fence, but they don't have an ACC title game to play in next year. So you don't That's have to play true. Clemson, you know, um, so anyway, that, that's, that's the frustrating thing for me is I just don't know if Brian Kelly is going to look in the mirror and say, okay, this, there's an issue. And, and look, it's not a simple fix, Vince. I mean, I don't think – I'm not saying it is. I, I don't think you are either. It's not somewhere he's just going to say, okay, well, I'm just going to – I'm going to not talk to the quarterbacks as much anymore. Okay. That's not going to happen. Right, but, but even if he did, it's – it's not going to, it's only a small part of the problem. I think that is one of the issues at quarterback. And maybe that's what we can do is let's address why, why is this happening? You know, I mean, give, give me some of the things you see that you've seen over the last 10 years that say, okay, this is why this is part of the reason. Cause it's not as simple as saying, well, the offense is too complicated. I think that's part of it. I think there's, there's more to it than that. Well, I think it's, I think that he's got his fingerprints all over the offense just a little bit too much. I think he, he tries to micromanage and with the hires that he makes, I think he hires guys that he knows either already know what he wants and they're going to do what he wants regardless, or guys that he knows that he can direct in the way that he wants them to mm -hmm. go. And as a head coach, you need to have, you, you don't want a bunch of yes men that, that, that that's not going to be successful. Um, I mean, look at, look at Alabama's defense, for example, look, Nick Saban is all over what that defense is doing, but he allows the defensive coordinator to come in and put his stamp on it. And I, and I don't think that that's the case with Notre Dame's offense. I don't think Tommy Reese is allowed to put his stamp on it. And, and again, I don't, we're not asking for Tommy Reese to get fired in any way. We're saying we want Tommy Reese at this point to have more say in what goes on with the offense, because I personally would be excited to see 
what Tommy Reese could do with the weapons at his disposal. Because I don't think that he would be coaching from inside the bottle that he's coaching in. I would hope not. I I would hope hope not. not. I mean, look, the majority of his coaching career obviously has come under the tutelage of Brian Kelly. He played under Brian Kelly. I get all of that. Uh, He's been shaped by Brian Kelly. But I also think that he's smart enough uh, and, and hopefully innovative enough to take that information and expand on it And I would also hope that he watches other teams and he sees, okay, this is what they're doing to get their guys open. This is, Mm -hmm. this is how they're setting up matchups to be beneficial to their guys. I I, I feel like he could be that guy. I really, really do. I just don't think he's ever going to get the latitude under this regime to do that. Perhaps. And, and we'll see. And I think part of the thing is, is my fear is that he is like Brian Kelly in thought. And, and that was the thing with like Chuck Martin, like when Brian Kelly wasn't micromanaging Chuck, Chuck Martin, uh, he put Chuck Martin in that place. Cause he knew Chuck Martin and him had very similar philosophies, right? I mean, they'd coach together for so long and he still set the standard for what he wants. I mean, and you know, the, the, there's times in games where he will step in and say, well, we need to start doing this or calling that or doing this other thing. And, and to me, my concern with that is that's fine. If you're involved in all the game plan meetings and all sure. the film breakdown meetings and those kind of things. And uh, you know, from what I understand, that's not what's happening, you know, and, and that's another concern that I have, but you know, I, I think there's too many voices in the, in the heads of the quarterbacks. And that's especially true in years where, cause really, this is Chuck Martin was the quarterback's coach as well. I believe. Correct. I think Mike so, Denbrock yeah. was not the quarterback's coach. He was Chip a wide Wong receiver's coach. The quarterback's coach. Yeah. So when, when in years where you haven't had a quarterback's coach, which is the case now, I mean, you have Tommy Reese as the quarterback's coach and the offensive coordinator. So I think that's one less voice, but when you have years where there's three, you, you can make a mistake and you're going to come off the field. You're gonna have three different people talking to you. You got right. the coordinator's going to talk to you. The quarterback's coach going to talk to you. And then the head coach is going to be the first one to talk to you. And, you know, I just, I think that that's gotta, that's gotta stop. I mean, if he's going to be the head coach, he's got to be the head coach, you know, and now that doesn't mean you don't get on a guy when he makes a dumb mistake that, you know, is a dumb mistake. You know, you're the head coach, you get on him. And, and, but the reality is, is you, you can't, you can't, you have to allow the coaches that you hired to coach and do what they're, they're going to do. And you have to give them the freedom to, to say, look, this is how we game planned it. This is how we're going to do it. I think that they have to, they have to create a less, a, a less complex offense. In my opinion, they have to, they have to clean up the post snap reads. They have to clean up the pre snap reads. They have to bring their offense into the modern era. And it's, it's not complicated. It's not easy, but it's not complicated easy. And if it was easy, everyone would be doing it and everyone would be scoring 45 points a game. It's not easy. It requires talent, but it also is something that Notre Dame has the talent that's can say Notre Dame's got the talent. That's not the issue. They've had it plenty of years. They had it in 2015. They had it in 2017. They had it in 2018. It's about, are you using the talent? For example, we've talked about this. You know, would you have been able to score two extra points against Georgia if you would have played Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool at wide receiver instead of Freddie Canteen, Chris Fink, and Cameron Smith? Maybe, I don't know, but I would have rather gone down swinging with my best athletes on the field. And I think that is a big problem. And that's not a quarterback problem. I mean, when you're, when you're the quarterback and, and you're trying to run, you know, concepts similar to what Alabama's doing, because there was a couple, I think they ran a post drag once in that game and uh, Ben Skronik came open, but he came open late, you know, and now it should have been thrown. You remember the play I'm talking about, Vince, he was running the drag right to left. Yeah, yep, yep. but yep. it was late getting over there because you asked Ben Skoranek to run that route. Right. 
you had plenty of other receivers on the team that were more capable of running that route where the timing would have worked out better because they would have got across faster than Ben Skoranek did. Correct. You have two tight ends that could have probably got across the field faster than Ben Skoranek did. Not saying that they were faster, but they would have come from a different place. They would have been there to come from a closer angle. Yeah, exactly. I do think Tommy Tremble's. I won't be shocked if Tommy Tremble runs a faster 40 time than Ben Skoranek. But anyway, you have Avery Davis. You, I mean, we could go the long list of guys. There's a very, very, very long route. list. So it's, it's, it's our, are you using the talent correctly? Well, when you're not using the talent correctly, that's going to hurt the quarterback for two reasons. Number one is you don't have your best players in the field. Number two, the quarterback over the course of a season is going to start understanding like, okay, I can't make that throw to this guy because he's not going to get there in time. And then the times he does actually get there, you, as a quarterback, you're still think, not thinking I'm throwing to that guy. So there's just routes that may work and may get open, you know, and you and I complain about how guys aren't open, but the reality is, is for whatever reason, Ian Book was not conditioned to make those throws, and he's not right. alone. Brandon Wimbush struggled to pull the trigger on some of those throws sometimes. Deshaun Kaiser uh, struggled to make those decisions. He would lock in on receivers sometimes, way too often. Now, part of that was because he was a younger quarterback, but these are issues we've ever – Golson had that problem. So when you see similar problems processing defenses, we've heard this complaint about almost every quarterback that Notre Dame has had can't process defenses the way that the best quarterbacks can do. So then you've got one of two problems, right? Number one, there's something inherently wrong with how you're teaching this. And it needs to be corrected. Number two, you are the worst quarterback evaluator of talent in, in college football. If you're constantly recruiting these four-star players and all of them struggle, all of them, if you think about it, not one of the, the four-star quarterbacks that Brian Kelly recruited could be considered successes. Everett Golson got benched. Gunnar Keel transferred. Malik Zaire got benched. Brandon Wimbush got benched. Deshaun Kaiser left. He didn't get benched, should have, but he left after a 4-8 and eight season, right? Uh, Ian Book's the only one. Phil Jakovic never got a shot. Got, you know, so, so every single one of these highly ranked quarterbacks that you had either transferred out after a losing season, transferred out because they couldn't get on the field, or got beat out by somebody else who then had the same problem, mm-hmm. right? So you're telling me all of those quarterbacks had the same mental flaw, could get into Notre Dame, smart enough to get to Notre Dame, had offers from big-time programs, but get to Notre Dame and they can't read defense. And they go, they get worse and worse and worse. Look, I've said this before, but Vince, Brian Kelly's unwillingness to admit the problems are, are a big part of the problem. And he's always asked, what's the one quarterback question he's always asked about? We actually, he's not asked. He doesn't get asked about it anymore. Media stopped asking about it because we knew the answer. (laughs) Why did quarterbacks regress? Okay. Ian Book in 2018, his quarterback rating was 153.96. He averaged 292 yards per game in his starts. The next year, 2019, his his quarterback rating dropped to 149.13. And it would have been much lower had they not he not had really good success in the final five games against a bunch of really bad teams. Now this year, his fifth season at Notre Dame, the year where he has all these starts under his belt, his quarterback rating was 144.25. It got worse every year. Deshaun Kaiser in 2015 averaged 253.5 yards per game, 8.7 yards per attempt, had a quarterback rating of 150.06. The next year, Deshaun Kaiser had averaged 243.8 passing yards per game, 8.1 8.1 yards per attempt and his quarterback rating dipped to 145.57. Uh, and, and again, Pat, he had, that was padded by a couple of huge games against really bad defenses, mainly the Syracuse game where he threw for like 400 some yards and a mess of touchdowns. 
So it, Everett Golson is another one. His quarterback rating went up, but his turnover skyrocketed and his overall level of play in 2014 relative to 2012 decreased. So you can argue against it all you want. Tommy Reese was a 65% completion percentage guy his first year as a starter. He was a 55% completion guy in his last year as a starter. That's a 10.10% dip. And that's from your, I would argue, your smartest quarterback. No one can question Tommy Reese's ability to process the defense. And if you did, did question his ability to process the defense as a quarterback, and then you made him your freaking offensive coordinator, that's a fireable offense. <laughs> right. So we can all agree that Tommy Reese was a really smart quarterback. Right. But his play, his quarterback rating decreased as he spent more and more time in the system. So what's what what's the constant? You, you know what I mean? And if you're not willing to look at that and address that, then you have to be able to fix that. And I think part of it is you're, you're trying to fit guys into the system. You're not playing to their talents enough. You're trying to rein them in. You're not letting them play. That was the reason I don't think Phil Dracovic ever would have been successful at Notre Dame. Not the way the system is, is currently right, right. currently situated. Right. He, they would have he, they would have beat that. They would he was like a wild style and they would have they would have beat that out of him. Instead of right. reining it in and harnessing it, they would have like beat Halfley it out. Halfley did about Boston College. Right. They they let him go out and make plays and make right. mistakes, by the way, right. which is, you know, that's gonna happen. Because think about how many and look, I'm not comparing Phil Dracovic to Brett Favre, but Brett Favre, you know, did his own thing and sometimes it bit him in the butt. Sometimes they won Super Bowls. So you know, it's, it's, you have to know who your personnel is. You have to know who your quarterback is and you have to be able to let them do what they do. Period. Right. You, you got to stop overcoaching them. Right. That's what it boils down to. And I think they overcoach the quarterbacks in Notre Dame big time. Um, and, and that's just, that's been constant. I mean, and, and I think also part of it is you just can, you're continuing to try to run an offense that is pro style in its complexity as a pro as, as opposed to pro style and how you use it schematically uh, it can be pro style and how the concepts in which you employ, you can't have it be pro style in the depth of the, com the, com the depth of it. You can't have as much as pro teams put in and you can't have the post snap complexity that sure. NFL teams have because that that's literally their job. They don't have class, you know, and, and here's the thing that's so frustrating is Notre Dame is a place where you are going to have smarter kids, in my opinion, more often than not. But it's also you have to Agreed. understand that your kids, you're not going to get away with allowing them to be just football players at Notre Dame. You can't. I mean, Brian Kelly talks about this all the time. And everyone that I've talked to behind the scenes, this is one of those things that Brian Kelly says publicly that is 100% right. And that is you can't just be football players in Notre Dame. It's not allowed. Even if he wanted them to be. You can't. You can't. Yeah. And he'd be fired if he tried to get away with that. I mean, and that's and kudos to Notre Dame for that. That's not a criticism for me at all. I mean, the fact that Notre Dame actually demands that their student athletes be students, <laughs> the, right. the audacity of the school to do that, right? Uh, I don't have a problem with that. But you have to understand that the, 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 the program you're working with, the program you're working with is you don't have the, the film room time, the, the off the field time, the extra time where your compliance guy is going to happen to go get lunch during that time you're getting that extra workout in right i mean let's be honest that happens sure um you, so so you have to understand okay well we can't do this but we do have smart kids we do have talented kids so we have to figure out a way that we can maximize the talent that they have we don't have to out scheme everybody you know give a give a smaller volume of plays with a little bit maybe a little bit more diversity within that volume of play so you know if you're going to run a post dig concept give your boundary receiver a little bit more freedom to be able to turn that post into a corner. 
right? And if you rep the heck out of that and you run it over and over again, it's almost as if, as if you're, you're doing similar things with your play action throws down the field that you're doing with RPOs, which is I'm going to always try to make my guy right. But it's limited in, in its scope. It's not, it's not going to turn into a, a, a comeback or a, or a cross or a dig. It's going to be either a post you or got a two post options. corner. That's you got it. two options. Right. And it's going to be based on, are they in two high or single high? Right. I mean, those are the things that it's going to be based on, right? Or, you know, some weeks it may be something different. But, you know, one of the things, it's funny, we've been complaining all year about more RPOs and simplify things. And so in the last week, I've literally had 15 people send me this uh, clinic talk that Steve Sarkeesian did. I think it was before last year. And he's talking about it a lot. They're like, hey, this is he's similar things to what you've been saying. And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, yeah duh <laughs> you know what i mean like you didn't send that my right. way buddy and and part and, and we keep hearing about how quickly mac jones processes information well part of the reason mac jones processes information correctly is because they're doing the same stuff over and over, over and, and over and over and over and over again and again it's not a simple offense there's complexity to it but it's 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 like clark lee's defense Clark Lee's defense is actually very complex. I've talked to some people about it. There's a lot of adjustments, but it's taught in a way to where there's, there's a level of simplicity to it. Mm -hmm. It's make a decision and go with it. And right. here's, here's right. the exact details of what that decision is going to be based on, but there's a consistency to it. It doesn't change week to week per se. Mm -hmm. And there's not five different options. It's okay. If this guy lines up here, you've got two options. If this guy lines up there, you've got two options. Simple as that. You know, and, and you look at the defense, which has seven three-star recruits in its starting lineup, went out this year and played at a high level. The a defense yeah. where Brian Kelly has said is dependent upon talent more than scheme is out there playing at a championship level with they've had, what, one first or second round draft pick on defense in the last four years? I think only one, one right? Jerry Tillery. It was, it was Tillery. Julian Love was fourth round, right? Third or fourth round. Drew Tranquil was guys fourth round. In the Trey NFL, Pride's but they fourth round, right? First rounders. Julian Love was third round. Uh, there's NFL. Lohi Gilman, sixth Lohi round. Gilman. There's yep. not top fifteen NFL draft picks on that roster. Let's be honest. And Jerry right. Tillery only played like a first rounder one year. That's it. And the only first rounder that's probably coming out of this year is Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa, three star recruit. Right. Jerry Tillery is recruited to play offensive line. Let's not forget that Jerry Tiller is recruited by Harry Heastan, the That's only true. first round draft pick that Notre Dame has produced on defense <laughs> under Brian under defensive lineman under Brian Kelly was recruited by Harry Heastan to play left tackle. He played left tackle in the army all American game. He decided wow. late in the process because LSU was trying to flip him to play D line because he was a really good high school defensive lineman. And he went to Notre Dame and said, I want to play defensive line. And Notre Dame said, okay, sure. I'll give you a shot. And he did. And he yep. was, it worked out well. Yeah, it did, it did. You know, so, I mean, think about that. I mean, just, you know, it just, your, your, your top, your first line, if, if Jeremiah Wusu's drafted in the first round this year, he'll be the first Notre Dame linebacker to go in the first round since Bob Crable back in the 80s. Wow. Now, we can all agree that had Jalen Smith not blown his knee out, he would have gotten a, been a first He would have been pick. a top five pick. No question. So yeah. there's an ask. I mean, I want to be fair. I don't want to just like throw out like these grenades and then like, you know, not give any context. Jalen Smith's a top 10 pick at least if, if there's, if he doesn't blow his knee out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But still one guy in 30 years, I think Bob Crable's early eighties as well. 
So all yeah, the Lou Holtz years, all those great linebackers, none of them were first round picks. They had a lot of second and thirds. Manti was the second round pick, but no first round picks. And then the guy that's going to get there is a three star recruit that you're you added late in the process. You beat out Michigan State and Virginia for. Yeah. You know. So I mean, the point is, you're able to scheme your way into success on defense. You've got to be able to do it on offense, Vince. And but at the end of the day, I mean, we're we're, we're going on and on about this, but at the end of the day, it's. Brian Kelly's got to look in the mirror and say, the, only, the I'm the constant to this. And I've got to be, I, I, I mean, I would say he's the problem, but I also believe he can be the solution. He it's just be. about whether or not he's willing to do it, you yeah. know? And, and we've seen ch- him being will, willing right. to change in the past, which gives us optimism. On defense. That's my own, that my optimism is you're right. He has changed in the past. My lack right. of optimism is it's usually on defense. Yeah, that's true. That's they've a good changed point. some run. They've changed run game wrinkle. Because again, I'm not talking about play calls. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's a lot of play calls that Notre Dame runs now that they can adopt into what they're doing now. Sure. It's it's a shift in philosophy and a shift in emphasis, not so much a shift in you, – you've got to completely overhaul your scheme. No, I'm not saying that, which right. is why I don't think you need to fire Tommy Reese to make the change. I'm not saying that. I, I mean, completely agree with that. You know, so – and if Tommy Reese is as smart as Brian Kelly says he is, that's even more reason that they he needs to back off. Yep. Be the head coach. Yep. Stop trying to micromanage the offense. Or – if you are going to micromanage the offense, then get back to being the kind of coach you were at Grand Valley when you didn't have a million different distractions as the head coach like you do at Notre The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Say to yourself, hey, look. Can I just say? Yeah, go. Well, no, yeah. I was just going to say, as a head coach, and I'm a head coach at a much smaller level, obviously, one of the best parts about being a head coach to me is watching the guys that I brought in, that my assistant coaches, be successful and, and go out there and do their thing and coach these kids up and, and you know, all of that, it, that makes me feel good. It's like, Hey man, I picked that guy. Like that guy, he's one of my guys. I, I helped bring him in and he's being successful and I don't micromanage him. 
You know what I mean? And I, I want guys that are going to challenge me to do different things uh, with the program or whatever. Grant, I have the final say. But when that assistant coach goes out there, has an idea, implements it, and it's successful, that makes me feel great. I, I don't know. That, that's just how I run things as, an, as, as a head coach. You're going to find this shocking, Vince. But <laughs> I'm a bit of a control freak. <clears throat> Shut your and mouth. And I, I never had a problem taking advice from other coaches. Never. Right. right. But it was always one of those things where if, if I was convicted on something, though, then I, I was going to do it the way I wanted to do it. All sure. right. And, and that's Absolutely. fine. I want, you know, but I, I do think there's different types of personalities and Brian Kelly is a control freak and that's fine. Cause so's Nick Saban oh, and oh, so's Urban me. Meyer. So am I. Right. Um, but I also think there's a level of, of that when you've had success at it, the, the way that Brian Kelly did at Grand Valley in Cincinnati, I think it can be even more difficult. Cause see the thing about Urban Meyer's Urban Meyer was never the play caller for any of his teams. It's true. Urban Meyer hired people that he trusted to run. I mean, Urban Meyer's literally never been a play caller as a head coach. Brian Kelly was a head was a play caller as a head coach almost entire career. It wasn't until he gave the reins to Chuck Martin in 2013, I think, that he wasn't the primary play caller. Mm -hmm. That so he obviously is. You know, I've said go back to your roots, right? Well, those roots were Brian Kelly calling plays. So yeah, I'm not right. even opposed to Brian Kelly being more involved. If Brian Kelly wants to get more involved, but here's the thing. That involvement has to be when you were calling plays at Cincinnati and Grand Valley State, you weren't the head, you weren't asked to do the head coachy type of things that Brian Kelly's asked to do at Notre Dame, which is part of the reason he gave it up in the first place. So either A, you need to use your leverage of 11 years and five games away from tying Newt Rockney as the all-time winning as coach. You need to use that leverage to say, hey, this next football season, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this speaking engagement. I'm not doing this. We have one goal in mind, and that is win a title. I'll go speak to a million different people once the season's over. I'll spend the next two months after you know the season on the road going to talk to people, you know, because I can let my strength staff and my coaches do all that kind of, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But if you're going to be that hands-on, you need to be that hands-on. And Brian Kelly, I do believe, is a very, very smart head coach. And I, I feel like if Brian Kelly spent the entire offseason meeting with Steve Sarkeesian, meeting with Lincoln Riley, meeting with Dan Mullen, meeting with all these great offensive minds who all run different systems and find out what philosophically they have in common that allows them to be successful, you know, Tony Elliott at Clemson, these are all brilliant head coach or head offensive minds that run completely different systems. Lincoln Riley's system could not be further away schematically from Steve Sarkeesian's. It's not possible to be different. Yet there's a lot of overlying philosophies. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, overplay scheme-wise. There's a lot of overplay philosophy-wise. But how they go about it's way different. Mm -hmm. Same with Ryan Day at Ohio State. Same with Tony Elliott at Clemson. Tony Elliott's offense at Clemson is nothing like Steve Sarkeesian's offense at Alabama, but there's a lot of very similar philosophies and principles involved. Those are the things that Brian Kelly needs to look at. And then from that, you can adopt your schemes that you already have exactly. into that. You know, it, Notre Dame has quick outs and slants or glance routes. However, Steve Sarkeesian they also have RPOs because we've seen them, right? They have all the plays. It's what are you emphasizing? What are you, and how are you teaching it? And what tempo are you going at? Mm -hmm. I think those are all things that are inherently there. They're just not being utilized the right way. And Brian, and that's why I said, you know, there's a philosophical shift that needs to happen. But until Brian Kelly's willing to admit that, hey, 
the way I've demanded it be done. The, and I think that's a better way of saying it than he's the problem. Cause I think saying he's a problem seems to me a, a really cheap way of, of expressing an issue and, and say, well, a guy that's won a hundred games has had 10 plus wins the last four years has taken this team to the playoff the two last years is the yeah. problem right. to me. doesn't come, doesn't that, that to me is going to make people just shut their ears and be like, you're, you're a hater. You're an, and, and I think there's some truth to that. So let me be clear about that. Brian Kelly is, as I said a million times, has done a phenomenal job getting Notre Dame to this point. And it's his talent as a coach that has got Notre Dame to this point. Right. And, and I give him credit for hires. You, you can't, you can't take credit away from a head coach because a, a, an assistant was successful because he's the dude that had to hire him. Right. right. And give that guy authority. So, um, so my, my point is this, it's, it's Brian Kelly's unwillingness to, to realize that the manner in which they're going about this specific aspect of the program mm -hmm. is holding it back. Right. And he needs to, he needs to either adopt a similar philosophy on offense that he's done on defense, which is you hire really good people and you tell them, cause what was the reason for making the shift on defense Vince? It was, and why was Brian Kelly so adamant that they won't run a three, four when that was the defense that got him to the title game in 2012, what was the reason that they're, they don't want to do that anymore? You can't run a three, four anymore. It, offense. You can't run a three, four and, and defend the best offenses in the country. Cause the game has changed. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. So he hired Mike Elko because Mike Elko ran a very modern defense. Mm -hmm. That's Marcus true. Freeman, Clark Lee run very modern defenses yeah. and they've been successful. Sure. Well, you're not running a modern offense and that's the problem. Yep. And so until you do that, your quarterback play is not going to be where it needs to be. As the rest of the country is is moving more and more and more towards simplify, 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 Brian Kelly has moved more and more towards complexity, complexity, complexity. Yep. And that's yep. what I mean is he's got to fix that. He's done so many great things in other areas. This is the thing he's got to fix. So I want to I want to kind of nuance my he's the problem comment because that sure. that to me was a very lazy analysis on my part. Um, it, it's, it's, he has to address that he is the one that created this issue and he's the one that can fix this issue, but it's, it's going to require him to accept the, his role in what got sure. you here sure. and be willing to accept that it's not the quarterback talent issue. It's not, you don't have enough explosive playmakers. I still can't believe he said that after a year where he had Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and Dexter Williams in the starting lineup. But that's what he said after the Clemson game in 2018. He scored three points. We don't have enough playmakers. Yes, you do. It's not a line problem. It's not a running back problem. It's not a receiver talent problem. It's not a tight end problem. It's a quarterback problem. So what's the issue? Is it you guys aren't recruiting right? I disagree. Or, or there's something else there. Yep. And, and figure it out and fix it. Because I, yep. I do believe if he can fix it, I do believe there's the talent on the roster. With Drew Pine and with Tyler Buckner, I think there's the talent on the roster, as as it was with Phil Dracovic, as it was with Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser and and, and all types. Brandon Wimbush, had he been developed properly? Uh, there's there, Everett Golson. There's always been issues there. Uh, or, I mean, there's always been talent there. It's about developing it the right way, Vince. Sure. And, you know – <laughs> I mean, you know, again, nobody would have said Mac Jones was that guy. Nobody would have said, oh, Jacob Coker is going to come in and throw for over 300 yards in the two playoff games. I mean, there's just been, I mean. It's frustrating. It, I get it, yeah. man. It, 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 it is frustrating because there is the talent there. And right. we, we just have to see 
Sometimes you just got to look in the mirror and, yeah. and see what the problem is and you got to fix it. And that's hopefully what will take place yeah. here. That's what LSU did. Yeah. I mean, that's what LSU did and they want a title. And that's the frustrating thing is everybody in this discussion, it's always hindsight. Well, Notre Dame's quarterbacks haven't been like Joe Burrow. Well, they were the first four years of Joe Burrow's career. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, the, the talent's there. It's just got to be developed. And and to me, until Brian Kelly's willing to look in the mirror and say, okay, it need there's there's a there's a problem that needs to be corrected. I'm going to correct it. This is how we're going to correct it. And part of that correction needs to be demanding, setting a very high standard for Tommy Reese, saying, hey, here's what's expected of you. And if you don't do it, I'm going to have to find somebody else that's going to do it. But then allowing Tommy Reese exactly in his way to go out and do the work needed that coaches do every year, you know, and, and last thing is this, is we've seen this before. Remember Texas kept getting their butts kicked by o Oklahoma and they were running that pro style offense and they were getting big time receivers, Roy Williams, Sloan Thomas beat BJ Johnson. They were getting big time receivers every year. They had Chris Sims at run quarterback, number five-star recruit. And they kept getting their butts kicked by Oklahoma and kept getting nine and three every year. And then the same offensive coordinator, Greg Davis, they went out and said, we've got to make a change. We've got this really athletic quarterback and they changed to the spread offense and they went out and won a title and then they played for another title and they were a dynamic offense for several years. So we've seen it be done without it, without firing a coordinator. Sure. I don't think that's the answer. I don't, I don't think, think firing so Tommy Reese is the answer. Nope. I think allowing Tommy Reese to use his youth and intelligence as an advantage to go out there and, and create a more modern offense is the way to go. And if they can do that, I do think the tools are there for this team within the next two years to com truly compete for a time. Not getting the playoff and get your butt kicked. Hey, not brag about winning by losing only by 17. Not average eight and a half and, points yeah, in the college exactly. football playoff. But yeah, to right. be competitive on the biggest stage to where your offense is part of the reason you finally start winning games, not the hindrance to you getting over that hump. Yep. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast, Brian. I want to thank you for your analysis of the quarterback position because it's going to be – it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a lot of fun to see if changes can be made. And, and uh, I do think the talent is there. And uh, I am I am cautiously optimistic that things can go in the yeah, right direction. Me Brian. too. So, me too. So for Brian Driscoll, I'm Vince D'Addario. And we will talk to you next time on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.